Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Welcome back to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods LLP and Seven Mile Advisors. I'm Ann Dorsett, and with me today are Phyllis Young and Kelsey Hitchcock. This is the second in a series celebrating the 19th Amendment. We're going to discuss the progress that women have made in the workplace and the challenges that remain. So let's rejoin our conversation. As we think about all the movement that women have made, and we have made movement, I think back to the 80s and early 90s when women were really starting to come into the workplace, and there was this concept of the superwoman, the woman who wanted to have it all. She wanted to have a career, and she wanted to have a family. And I'm thinking back over those many, many decades, and I never once heard a man called a superman by wanting to have both a career and a family. That's still a challenge that women face, that there's this idea that somehow we want more than a man wants simply because we want to have a challenging career and a family. With that in mind, I'd like to flip it to Phyllis to talk about women in board leaderships and women who are running organizations. Phyllis? Thanks, Ann. Yes, I completely agree with you. That's a really good example of you know, what's going on right now, really, in the workplace. I wanted to talk today about where things stand as far as women on boards in the C-suite and running law firms. There's a report from McKinsey & Company, 2019 report, Women in the Workplace, that reveals in the last five years, more women have risen to top levels of companies. An increasing number of companies are seeing the value having more women in leadership, and they're proving that that they can make progress on, that we can make progress on gender diversity. So I think this is an important step in the right direction. As we're recording this in recent weeks, Jane Frazier has was the, become the CEO of Citigroup, being the first woman to lead a major Wall Street bank. So there definitely are, there's a lot of progress that's being made. Today, 44% of companies have three or more women in their C-suite up from 29% of companies in 2015. And I've experienced this phenomenon just kind of sort of personally, but adding even one woman can make a material difference given critical role top executives play in shaping business and culture of their company. But still, the overall representation of women in C-suite is far from parity. About one in five C-suite executives is a woman, and only one in 25 C-suite executives is a woman of color. So there's a little bit of, I mean, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. We see a lot of progress. We see signs that the glass ceiling is cracking, but it's not all where we want it to be. More women are becoming senior leaders, which is driven by two trends. First, more women are being hired at the director level and higher than in the past. And second, senior level women are being promoted on average at a higher rate than men. Additionally, men at the senior vice president C-levels are slightly more likely to leave their companies than they were in the past, which creates more positions for women to fill. 
So I thought this was an interesting statistic. Progress at the top is constrained by a broken rung. The biggest obstacle women face on the path to senior leadership is the first step up to manager. For every 100 women promoted and hired to manage, only 72 women are promoted and hired. This broken rung results in more women getting stuck at the entry level and fewer women becoming managers. Men end up holding 62% of manager-level positions, while women hold just 38%. The National Association of Women Lawyers survey on retention and promotion for women in law firms shows that women have made progress but still struggle for access to law firm leadership positions. 20 to 25% of governance and compensation committee members, which are, if you're at a law firm, those are the big committees, and office-level managing partners and practice group leaders are women. The women are largely unrepresented as law firm managing partners. In the ABA's 2018 report, a current glance at women in law, the percentage of women serving as general counsel for Fortune 500 companies was only 26.4%. Numbers were similarly dismal for law school deans, 32.4%, and federal and state level judges, 27.1%. Research from scholars and organizations has found that women need to hold at least three board seats to create a critical mass, which can lead to better financial performance for companies. Reaching critical mass can change boardroom dynamics substantially, creating an environment in which innovative ideas can spring from gender diversity. Again, you know, I just know this from my own personal experience and being on boards of nonprofits. When we have a diverse board, when we have that good mix of men and women and ideas, it just really adds to the overall effectiveness of the board. So I feel like I witnessed that critical mass and that importance of having diverse leadership and boards, particularly with getting input from women, it, it, it really does make a difference. Women's board tenures tend to be shorter and women are less likely to hold leadership positions than men. Women holding leadership positions on boards is positively associated with other women directors having longer board tenures. Recognizing the value of gender diverse boards, institutional investors are starting to vote against all men boards in U.S. companies. And that's a relatively new phenomenon. When I started practicing law, that people were making those kind of proposals, but they weren't taken seriously. And now those types of proposals are being taken seriously. In the U.S., more than one quarter of S&P board directors are women, which is a record high. There are no all-male boards in the S&P 500. All companies have at least one woman director. Yet, despite reaching these milestones, representation of women on S&P 500 boards continues to be low. On average, boards today have 2.8 women directors compared with 1.7 a decade ago. Only 8% of boards include just one woman, an improvement from 36% in 2009. In 2019, women accounted for almost half of new board directors in S&P 500. The women of color were 10% of new directors. Women are also underrepresented on Fortune 500 boards. In 2018, fewer than one quarter of board of directors were women. So we have sort of a mixed bag, I think, is the summary of all those statistics. We have a lot of women compared to the 80s, that perception of how women in the corporate world, women on boards, 
we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot more. I feel like I, this is a repeat. I feel like in every one of these podcasts, I make the same point, but we still have a lot way, a lot of way to go. So with that, I thought we'd kind of open it up and for discussion. Well, I think one of the things that that is challenging, and I think it's it's challenging in terms of women, and I think it's challenging in terms of a people of color, is the apparent inability to retain them and the kind of peeling off. And to me, that means a lack of intentionality to make sure that their experience is is satisfying and meaningful. Because if you don't have that intentionality, then you feel like you're talking to an empty room and your presence doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. I think the intentionality is really important. To me, the way I see it is that there are a number of factors that are going on. I really think that critical mass is so important and I think that feeds into the intentionality. Everyone sort of has to have in the front of their minds that we need to have more women in leadership positions. You have to kind of incorporate that into your decision-making and how you're thinking about things from a governance standpoint. When you just have one woman, it doesn't make any difference. You really need to have a critical mass of women for it to really make a difference. When you just have one or two out there, it doesn't really have as much of an impact, but the more women you have, it starts to have a greater impact. And But the problem is, how do you get from that one woman to that critical mass where it makes a difference? So you're kind of struggling to get from that one woman to the critical mass. But once you have it, things start to flow much better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Kelsey, what are your thoughts? I think Anne's right that, you know, there's kind of a period in careers where we're losing women, women of color, and minority representation and individuals in our in law firms and in all organizations. And I think part of that is intentionality. I think part of it is is mentorship and having someone that has been through what you're going through and explaining to you kind of what you should be doing as the next step. I mean, part of that has to be self-driven, but I think it we know that it helps to see people like you succeeding in an organization to think that you can also succeed in that organization. So part of encouraging people to stay on, I think, is having representation and leadership. A part of getting representation and leadership is having those people stay on, right? So it's like we need to be more, I don't know if it's having the leaders that we do have at those levels being more vocal about what what their needs for at different levels, having people asking for feedback a lot from people that are kind of at that crux or that crossroads where they're deciding whether to stay or to go. And I think it's everything from seeing someone in those roles to like benefit policies and what we think would be helpful to supporting 
people that, you know, choose to have families, but people that have different caregiver needs that maybe don't relate to children or people that are, you know, living on their own and trying to make a household work for themselves and or their families with whatever else they have going on. And all of that, I think, comes back to certain, you know, as we've mentioned before, certain stereotypes, certain ideas of who should bear the brunt of that work. It's a very complicated knot of issues, but the only way that we move the ball forward, I think, and get past this, right, like, women shouldn't be graduating from law school above 50% of, and then have, you know, our goal shouldn't be a third of leadership positions. Eventually, it should be 50% of leadership positions or more, you know what I mean? Or it doesn't matter who's in those leadership positions, meaning maybe it's gets to be more than 50. At least it should be at 50 if that's who we have graduating law school. And tracking that along the way and seeing where the real issues are, I think a lot of it has to do with tracking. I think a lot of it has to do with outlets for communication about, you know, how we, how people, you know, what they're struggling with or what they are looking for in a career in life. That's really what's going to move the needle forward for us, I think. And, you know, from going to 25 to 30 to maybe 33 to 50 eventually. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there also has to be, I say intentionality a lot, but I think it has to move from just being to having a diverse workplace towards having a diverse leadership. There are a lot of companies out there who expect diversity from their vendors. What are their expectations within their own organization in terms of leadership diversity? And when they reach out to vendors, what is their expectation on diversity? Is it just having a bunch of diverse associates or is it also the requirement that the diversity is at the leadership level? To me, I feel like there's a lot of talk and there needs to be more walk. And then what can we do individually As we are in the workplace, whether we're in leadership, you know, those who are in leadership need to continue to bring women up, to turn the spotlight on younger women, and to to show that they can make it into leadership. And for those who are in the middle, not quite at leadership, we need to do both. We need to support the women leaders, and we need to help pull up the more junior women. I completely agree with that. I think as for women, the more leadership roles that we are, that we come into, that we really, I think women have a responsibility, a duty really to other women to make sure that we are bringing up other women. And that's not to say to the detriment of men. I just think that as women, when we come into leadership roles, we should be thinking about things from the standpoint of what is going on within the organization and why aren't women being promoted and what can we do, what intentionality can we have to make sure that those structures, those processes are changed to be able to benefit women. I think you still have that phenomenon even today where there's some women who get into a position And they think, okay, I made it so everyone else can make it too. 
and they judge everyone kind of along the same lines that they may have been judged, which is really not fair because those rules that, you know, got them to where they are now, those are just some sort of made-up rules anyway, right? They weren't necessarily based on you worked really hard to get here, you did X, Y, and Z, and so now you're promoted. So those were sort of artificial barriers anyway. And those rules shouldn't exist. I mean, if there were certain rules that, that prevented women in the past, women should not continue to enforce those rules for other right. women. I think that's a big issue, Ann and Phyllis. I mean, I think like the concept of enforcing the rules that you were for or the hurdles that you were forced to jump over, I mean, we shouldn't be looking at are you living up to that caliber? Are you able to jump over those hurdles? I mean, when you get to a leadership position, it should be, how do I remove these hurdles? Like, I shouldn't mm-hmm. have had to jump over these things. Some of these things are tied to stereotypes that I shouldn't have been struggling to overcome. I should have been running flat with the guys, with whoever else, right, that didn't have to jump over those hurdles. How do we? kind of flatten the terrain, and that is how we're going to get more women in leadership positions. The concept of a critical mass, right, as you get more women in leadership, then you hit this period where you're, like, you have even more weight to your words because more voices are joined that you're able to flatten that terrain, make it, I mean, it's still going to be a struggle, but just as easy or equal to what, you know, maybe the men are are facing with respect to their past. And that's not to say that men don't also struggle with these gender stereotypes. We saw it right from all of us have been thinking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her her litigation. I mean, women aren't the only ones suffering from the stereotypes, but improving on those issues is only going to help everyone. I think it's listening to the kind of non-performance-related comments and challenging them, both when you hear them from women, hear them from men, when you thank them yourselves. And the example I will give, and I'm not saying that she should have been the candidate, but the biggest criticism that you heard about Amy Kobachar was that she was mean to her staff. And I don't recall any male politician being called out as a negative by being mean to the staff. And I see that even in the workplace, that a lot of the hurdles that women face are not performance-based, they are personality-based. I was told as a second-year lawyer that I needed to smile more. I don't think any of my male counterparts have ever been told to smile more in a performance evaluation. And I think we just need to be cognizant when we think when we think about women less in terms of their, perform- their actual performance, what are they bringing to the table in terms of their skills and more in terms of their personality? Are they nice? Are they congenial? I think we have to gut check ourselves and we have to gut check others. Yeah, I think that's right. I keep thinking about the example you brought up about the superwoman, career woman who, and I can think of even when I was younger, 
commercials on television and movies that portrayed women who were trying to have it all, careers, the family, all these types of things. Some of it is just so ingrained in our society and how Mm -hmm. people are thinking about things. And that example, I actually had a real life discussion with a woman about whether she could be a, have a full-time career and be a mother. And you never heard a man say, I don't know if I can be a father and have a full-time career. I guarantee you've never heard a man say Mm -hmm. that. And so women are still struggling with this concept of having it all and balancing and see it. We talked about earlier with COVID-19, how women are doing more work now. Um, They're homeschooling their children. They're supervising their children. They're doing their full-time job. I know some women who are doing their work basically in the middle of the night. They're taking care of their kids during the day. They're working in the middle of the night. I don't know when they are sleeping. It's so sort of just ingrained in our society. And I saw, I wish I could remember where I saw the statistic, but I think it was just yesterday I saw something that said, I what is like one in four women now is considering leaving the the workplace because of COVID-19 and the additional duties that they have at home now. And, you know, I, I can think of specific examples of some women who have left the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, really, like, how do we, it's, it's a complex issue. Like, how do we deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think some employers, and certainly McGuire Woods, have taken steps to eliminate that burden in terms of allowing more flexible time and having the choice of choosing flexible time not necessarily be a negative. And I think we have to do more of that until there comes a time when it is even in terms of the work that is done at home, the unpaid work that is done at home. I think they're just that employers need to continue to be flexible and to recognize the gifts that are brought, even if those gifts are presented in a, at a lower hourly requirement to provide support for childcare when a child gets a fever, because typically it's the mom who stays home to provide the support that you can have somebody come in and take care of your child while you go back to the office. But until, you know, until the the work at home, the work that's part of life is shared, I think it's still going to fall on women. And we just need to figure out ways to make that burden not transfer over into the workplace. One of the things that shocked me, I read this recently, was of the 1.1 million unemployed as a result of COVID, 880,000 of them are women. That just, that statistic just shook me to the core. And part of it is because with children at home, the lower paid spouse decides to stay home. And because women are lower paid than men, it is falling on women to fill that gap. And hopefully we'll come out of this and hopefully we'll learn something from it rather than just being exhausted by it. Maybe one of the things that you mentioned, McGuire Woods, how we've got specific policies in place to address some of these issues. 
Maybe one of the things that women, when we are in leadership positions or and just in general, what could be happening is the things that we value in a workplace, the things that we reward in a workplace, maybe we need to rethink some of that. There's obviously being productive is important, but changing up even the evaluation system and what we reward to take into account these external factors and maybe even a way of leveling things. Like maybe those are some things that can be taken into consideration to help address some of these issues. For example, women maybe are serving on nonprofit boards or doing more community service and that sort of thing. So for instance, at a law firm, why not give more value to that in addition to the billable hours when you are evaluating and thinking about promotion? So you know, maybe there are some ways that we can address some of these external factors and some of the extra work and actually reward people in the work environment as opposed to dinging them for that. Yeah, I mean, I agree, Phyllis. And, and maybe we need to look at the value of FaceTime versus the value that somebody brings. Is FaceTime really worth as much value as it's given when we give reviews of other attorneys? Or is it the work that is being presented and the timeliness of the response, whether or not that person is in the office next to you or working from home? Right. And I think that's probably, if there's a silver lining to pandemic, I think people will really now start to see the value of not having to have FaceTime, although I, I mean, I think it's important to socialize and that's part of human nature and all those sort of things, but maybe the value that we were putting on that in the workplace is really was too much and that you can still be productive. You can still get the job done. You can still serve your clients without having to be sitting in a chair in your office for 16 hours or 12 hours or eight hours, whatever. And being nimble, I think even COVID has taught a lot of people that you don't have to, you know, even having an office space and things like that, that may not necessarily be as important as we thought it was. And just the ability to be nimble and be able to shift quickly, valuing that, I think that's going to, we'll see probably more emphasis on that in the workplace going forward. I think one thing as an extension to kind of the the nimbleness, you know, in policies is also just like everything we're talking about is needs to be at a policy level in an organization and then also like in a microcosm in your everyday interactions with the people you're delegating to and the people that are on your team and, you know, your service to partners or other partners. I think that kind of flexibility and communication with what's going, you know, to ignore, it's almost like impossible to ignore what people have going on right now because there, it's so clear in all, everything we see on TV, all of the things going on in the world today. I don't know about you both, but I think in my teams, we've 
been more, even more communicative about our schedules and things that are going on than we have been before. I think that also really helps. It's one thing to to not have those facts or not have that information and look at someone's performance or work or their their productivity or whatever it is. But I mean, even just like knowing how much productivity or how much work someone has going on at a particular moment. I mean, I think communication is just so key at kind of the micro level in our organization. And that can lead to understanding if there's like a kind of like a policy issue, because not everyone, not every woman is facing the same issues. Not every person is coming across the same things, even as we go through this pandemic. And we're only going to know kind of what people are facing from what we hear externally and what people tell us on our team. And I think how we address that at the policy level is important. It's also important how we're handling that on an everyday basis because the reality is the work needs to get done and we need to serve our clients. And what we can do is how the means by which that happens and what, you know, how we're communicating with our teams. I mean, that's like really, to me, that's one of the big things that it comes down to in kind of treating everyone fairly. That's just been my kind of personal experience as I've gone through this, hearing things from others and like working with my team. What can we do? This We've been talking about really complex issues that are ingrained in our society. What can we do? What can we take from this conversation? Yeah, thanks, Phyllis. So to kind of close us off, I'm going to end with words from Justice Ginsburg that were published in an opinion piece in the New York Times in 2016. And she wrote, earlier I spoke of great changes I have seen in women's occupations. Yet one must acknowledge the still bleak part of the picture. Most people in poverty in the United States and the world over are women and children. Women's earnings here and abroad trail the earnings of men with comparable education and experience. Our workplaces do not adequately accommodate the demands of childbearing and child rearing, and we have yet to devise effective ways to ward off sexual harassment at work and domestic violence in our homes. I am optimistic, however, that movement towards enlistment of the talents of all who compose we the people will continue. And we are seeing the continuance of that. Women are gaining a foothold in private equity and finance. As Phyllis mentioned in September 2020, Citigroup announced the appointment of Jane Frazier as the bank's chief executive. This appointment is groundbreaking. Ms. Frazier is the first woman to lead a major financial institution. A little over a year ago, In April of 2019, at a House Financial Service Committee meeting, none of the male CEOs from the large banking institutions in attendance, including Michael Corbett, the then CEO of Citibank, believed that they would be succeeded by a woman. And yet now we have a woman as CEO of a large financial institution. On a micro level, we see the faces of women and hear the voices of women more and more often in deals. We must continue the efforts to bring women to the deal table to foster and support each other so women will want to stay at the table. We need to reach down and pull up young women entering the field. We need to work together to break the glass ceiling, to hoist up and champion women as leaders in the field. 
please continue to send any questions, comments, or suggestions to our website. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you.